Dr. Cook contacted me and asked me to preach this morning and told me that it is Sanctity of Life Sunday and asked if I would address that in uh, the sermon and I told him, of course, I would be glad to do that. And so when we think about the Sanctity of Life, uh, the first thing that uh, I do whenever I'm given some kind of uh, expression like that is to ask, well, what does that mean? If I'm, especially if he's asked me to preach in regard to it, then what does it mean, this, this phrase, the sanctity of life? And sanctity of life means that because God created human beings, male and female, in his own image, human life is sacred and most precious to God. From the beginning, we see this in Scripture. It speaks to this truth. And we see not only in the early part of Genesis with creation, but we also see it not long after with Noah. When Noah and his family came out of the ark They were permitted to kill animals for food, but the murder of another human being would incur the greatest penalty, the death penalty. And in Genesis 9, 6, the Lord said, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, he, that is God, made man. Also, Jesus in the New Testament in many places teaches the value of human life. I I think of one in particular, and that is in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's interesting as he says, the second is like it. In other words, right next to this in in great importance is this second one as well. And that is that not only should we love love God with all that we are, but that we are commanded to love people. And in fact, we realize in Jesus' teachings and and throughout the, the New Testament that it is impossible to love God and not love others. So this morning, I would have us look to Psalm 139. And beginning with verse 13, we see here a short passage that I think really speaks to this idea again of the sanctity of life. And it's a tremendous passage that speaks of how much God values those who have been created in his image, and that is all of humanity. So let's begin reading with verse 13 here in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. 
and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The first thing I would like to observe here in verses 13 through the first part of 16 is this, that every human life is made particularly by God. Every human life is made particularly by God. And we see this in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. God made each of us. David understood that truth about himself, but he understands this, of course, in light of all of humanity. And the language here that he used depicts intricate care, attentiveness, and precision. And it's the language that's used of of one who was a weaver who made thread and wove the threads into fabrics in ancient times. And it is a delicate, precise process that is described here. And David used this language to describe how God made each and every human being and makes each and every human being. It is true that we have a great many similarities to one another as human beings, but God also made each of us genetically unique. And there is a uniqueness to all of us, each and every one of us. A second thing we see here in verse 14, notice that we were particularly and uniquely made in a way that should produce awe and worship. He says here, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The idea here is that God made us in his image so that we might fear him and be in wonder of him. And the idea of fear is not this idea of just being afraid, but it's that Old Testament expression of the fear of the Lord. It is of worship. It is of awe. It is of living in, again, the word wonder of God. And it is understanding that all of life is to be lived unto God, under his authority, under his rule, in worship and all of who he is. And, and David is amazed and he is in awe and wonder at the Lord who has made us in this way that he has made us in his image to glorify him, to magnify him, to reflect God's beauty. Also, we see here that God in his infinite knowledge, not only has God always known us, but from the moment we were conceived, he has had his eyes on us. 
we see here in verse 15, he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Well, just as the depths of the earth were hidden from people in ancient times, so was what was happening inside the womb. And of course, recent technology has made it where we can look inside the womb and, and see so many wondrous things that's going on with a child in the womb. But in ancient times, that was impossible. In fact, I got to thinking about this. When I was born, that was impossible, actually. So maybe I'm ancient. I don't know. I think some of you, I think maybe they had it when I was born. Some of you, though, I see for sure you're ancient and it wasn't then, okay? But anyhow, but it was ancient times. It wasn't so long ago that we could not see. But the truth is this, God always saw and always sees. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so David is in awe of God and wonder and amazed that God would take such precision work and bring it to the making of each and every one of us, to each human being, and that he would give such care to it and that he would keep his eyes on us. And before we were even in this world, ever since the moment of our conception, he has had his eyes on us. What an amazing thing to think about. And with David, he understood that the only thing he could do in response to the Lord in this was to worship him, to be in awe of him, to think of how wonderful and wondrous God is that he would do such a thing. When um, I was born, I was uh, the second of two, and my brother is nine years older than me. And uh, he, I don't know why my parents did this, they allowed him to name me. Don't let your kids name your kids, okay? That's, that's not even in my notes here. It's just, it's just been welling in me for, well, 60 years. Maybe even in the womb. Maybe I knew. I don't know. But, I mean, ever since I know, it's been, it's been welling. It, don't do it. And, and what really bothered me is when I realized also he named me Terry Joe. And it was going to be Terry Joe, whether I was a girl or a boy, and just to change the spelling of it. And that just really irked me when I realized that as well. And then when I got to, oh, about a junior or senior in high school, I started getting um, mail from the U.S. military, and they were wanting me to join up, and that was typical in those days. 
And my mail wasn't sent to guys. It had all these women on there in uniform and they thought I was a girl and they were wanting to give me. So it just really has stuck with me. So when I was a kid, um, my friends actually um, came up to me one day and said, we don't like Terry Joe, you're TJ. And I'm like, okay, and there it is. And I liked it a whole lot better myself, and so it has stuck. Don't call me Terry Joe, by the way, you say, okay? Now, I, I, I can't punch my nine, brother nine years older than me in the nose, but I might you if you say it, okay? So don't, don't call me Terry Joe. Um, but um, nine years older. But I asked my dad, I said, if you would have named me, what would you have named me? And he looked at me and said, oops. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, my mom said, oh, no, that's not true. And I thought, I started doing a little math. And like, when you're nine years later, maybe, I don't know, there might be some oops to that. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, some of us may be oopses in our families, but there are no oopses for God. There are no accidents for God. You were created by Him on purpose, intricately, as He took the time to make you just as He intended to do so for His glory and to teach us and show us His majesty and, and to be in wonder of who He is. Years ago, I had a teacher who said that there may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate babies. And that's true. No accidents, no mistakes. God made each and every one of us the way he did for his glory and his purposes. And so it's important for us to understand, I think, in verse 16, the second part of this, it says... And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God knows the end of one's life before it begins. We don't know. We did not control when we would be born. And we don't know what our futures hold. We don't know when we will die or how we will die, but God does. And our lives are in his hands completely for his purposes, for his glory. This means that the seasons of your life and my life are ordained by God. Every day of our lives, every season of our lives, ordained by God. And I think about that in light of Ecclesiastes 3, as Solomon wrote. And I want you to listen what Solomon wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and following. There is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, 
a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should, here it is again, fear him. That God has made every, every season of life and has ordained those in our lives for the ultimate purpose that in and through them we might worship him. That we might live our lives daily in the fear of the Lord, in living unto him as our God, as our Savior. That we are here for his purposes and that our desire is for him. Have you ever thought about how many of us, we live our lives and we're always put out, upset, bucking against the season of life that we're in, always looking for the next season? Starts very young. I see this with our, our, our grandkids. I saw it with our children. I mean, even when we're born, we're not very happy. We're yelling and screaming. We want food. We want, we want uh, the, the right kinds of warmth. And, and we want everything. We want to be clean. We want everything done. And we, we're unhappy if it's not done as we want it and when we want it. And then I think about my grandson, who's two, and our other grandson, who's five, and how the two-year-old wants to be able to do the things that the five-year-old is doing as he's getting ready to go to kindergarten and, and getting to go to school and do things that the two-year-old is not able to do yet. He wants to go too, and he wants to be a part of those things. And, and the five-year-old at church, what, what does he want? He wants to be with the 10-year-olds and he wants to be doing the, the things that they're able to do and be a part of their sports and, and the fun activities they're doing. And what are the 10-year-olds wanting? Well, they want to be in the youth group and they want to be a part of what they're doing and get to go to camp and all those things. And then when you're 13, you want to be 16 so you can get that license and get that car and, 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 and at least maybe not get the car, but get, get to drive the car and, and, and be able to have some freedom that way. And then when you're 17, 18, you can't wait to get out of high school so you can go to college or go to some other job 
get some independence from your parents and, and do that sort of thing. And you get in college or you get that job and you've just got more people telling you what to do and, and how to do it. And then you're thinking, well, if I could just get out of school or get this thing, then I'll get a better job and I'll get some freedom. And then you, you've got to pay people for houses and, and air and, and heat, we hope, and, and utilities and clothes and all these kinds of things going on. And you think, well, maybe someday... I'll retire and I get to retirement and everything will be great and I'll do what I want to do. And I remember my parents had all these plans to retire and my, my mom had hydrocephalus. She had uh, heart congestive heart failure. She had lung disease to where my wife did about three hours of, of work with her every day as she was going through treatments every day in our home. And my, why was she in our home? Because my father had passed away and they were not able to do any of the things that they had talked about doing. And some people can, but we, we, don't, we don't know what the future holds. And you, you think that someday retirement's going to be, well, I'll just do whatever I want to do and go where I want to go. Um, I'm not that close to retirement, sort of close to where I'm at least looking at it and thinking about it and preparing what, what the next, next season will be. But just two days ago when it snowed, I did what, I'll blame my dad for this too. He didn't name me when he, well, I don't want oops either. But anyhow, he didn't help with that. And another thing he did, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, if there is any snow whatsoever coming down, you get out there and shovel that snow because there's more coming and you got to just get ahead of it. You got to stay on it. Now, I know you are a lot smarter than that because it's, it's going to be like 50 to 60 this week. And so you don't shovel it. You just kind of, it's going to, it's going to melt and go and it's, but it's just in my, it's in my genes, okay? So I was out there. Um, no one in my whole, whole neighborhood shovels their driveway. I'm the only guy. But I'm out there. And I'm pushing. I'm not shoveling, really. I'm just kind of pushing it. And I'm out there for about 20 minutes. And I just wanted to get it cleared off. And, and which is really strange because I would complain about it when I was a kid that my dad made me do it. And now Ann's laughing at me. I said, it's snowing, it's snowing. And I'm getting all my gear on and all this. And, and, all, and she says, um, I, I know while you're getting that going on, but I need to start my car. So I'm going to go ahead and do it because I was going to start it for her. I said, I'll warm up your car for you and all that. And it was taking me like 15 to 20 minutes to get all my snow gear on. And she said, I think I'll just go out there and get that going for you. And okay. I, I said, no, no. I'll, and I looked and okay, because it was time for her to go. So she went out and did that. But uh, I was just so excited to do that, which is crazy. But yesterday we're sitting on the couch and I, I was just sitting on the couch, not really doing anything. And I looked at her and I said, my shoulders really hurt. And I'd already had one sh shoulder surgery and I thought, I mean, these are going bad again. These, this is bad. And I haven't even done anything. I don't know what's happening. And then I was like, oh, yesterday for 20 minutes, I pushed snow on the ground. And now... 
I'm in great pain. And it's like, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. There are seasons of life. But you know what? The difference of when I was 10 years old and I was going out and shoveling that snow, and now half a century later, I go out and shovel that snow, I really enjoy it. You say, that's crazy. But I've lived long enough now to know this window is shutting. And I won't always have the opportunity to go out and push some snow around and everyone just like, that guy's crazy. And I realized that what I thought was a drudgery was a gift from God to give me a body to be able to do things and to do them while I'm able to do those things and enjoy that I can do those things because I won't always be able to do those things, you see. And so the the seasons of life, you see, from conception to our very last breath, God has ordained every season and every day of our lives. And for what purpose? We see here in verse 16 the word, the days were ordained. This word ordained, in Hebrew, it's, it's the idea of planned or formed, ordained, or it's often used for a potter who's forming or a craftsman who is building. And there's a plan, there's, there's purpose in what they're doing, and it's to fulfill a purpose. We, it's often used to describe God's work of creation, that there's order to it, that there's, there's work that's done with precision, and, and it is not just haphazard, but there's planning with a purpose in mind. You see, God made us in His image for His glory that we might magnify and reflect His beauty, that we might honor Him. See, our beauty is not primarily physical, but spiritual. To be fearfully and wonderfully made is to recognize the more like Christ we become, the more beautiful we are. That's what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. It is in the fear of the Lord and in wonder of Him, becoming more like Him and recognizing that He made us for His glory. And it's important for us to remember that. I think about Job in the Old Testament. We see that he was in such a condition that people could barely look at him. He could barely stand himself for how foul he was even to himself in his physical condition. And yet we look and recognize this man was faithful and devoted and glorified God. And it is a beautiful picture of a man of God who is living for the glory of God. 
and trusting in his God no matter what. We see in John 9, Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man who had been born blind. And Jesus' disciples assumed that he was blind because of some particular sin either the man had committed or his parents had committed. But Jesus said this in John 9, 3, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And after Jesus healed the man, the last thing said about the man in the text is that he was worshiping the Lord. That's the beauty. That is the idea being made fearfully and wonderfully. That we have been made, as David says, in such a way that should bring forth the fear of the Lord and worship and devotion and wonder at him that he would make us as he has in his image. It is interesting that when we look at the Bible, not only did God make us for his glory, but he made us for his pleasure. And he takes pleasure in us. Paul wrote, all things have been created through Christ and for Christ in Colossians 1.16. He was not lonely. God did not need us. I think about Ann and I, our, our, our two sons. Joel is our oldest. I remember the first time I held Joel. I looked down at him in those eyes and you know who I saw? I saw his mom. And how beautiful he looked to me. And then I remember our second one, John. I held him. And what did I see? It was incredulous. I saw my dad. Bald, the same as well. But it looked just like my dad. And I'm like, I'm holding my dad right here. Ever since their births, Ann and I take great pleasure in them. We didn't need them. I really wasn't lonely before they came along. In fact, they've really pushed me around a whole lot over these years in a lot of ways, got in my space a lot. No, we take pleasure in them because they're ours, you see. And the joy of seeing them who have made, been made somewhat in our image and the pleasure we take in them. Oh, it's so much more with our Heavenly Father and the pleasure that He takes in us. And He made us to reflect His glory. And He made us because he takes pleasure in us. And, and I think that is important for us to recognize. Also, if you look in verses 17 and 18, we see here every human life is precious to God. Every human life is precious to God. 
the idea here, it's interesting in verse 17, um, because if you read, read it literally in the original language, it says here, how precious are your thoughts to me. In the original language, it's to me, how precious are your thoughts. It's like it's incredible to David, to me, to me that your, your thoughts are precious concerning me, toward me. How amazing that is. The truth is sometimes our thoughts about ourselves are not very precious. But he's amazed that God's thoughts to him, toward him, are precious. That's why it's no wonder in Psalm 40, verse 5, David wrote these words. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. More than can be told. What an amazing thing it is as we think about that. He is astounded at the wondrous thoughts, the precious thoughts that God has toward each of us, that what God had toward him and has toward us. Every human life is precious to God. We think about this and we think about sanctity of lo- the sanctity of life and sanctity of life day and we think about protecting unborn babies and we should and they are precious to God. And I, I have to say, I'm not real political. And I know some of you keep up with it much more than I do. And, and uh, I appreciate that you do, actually. But um, one thing I, I, I told Ann this recently, and it's just she and I are both on the same page with this. And that is uh, when it comes to voting, I sometimes have a hard time knowing who to trust and what to trust and what to believe. But I know this, that I have no intention of ever voting for anything that will legalize the aborting of unborn children. I won't. So I I know that, you see, I got that settled. And as precious as they are to God, at the other end of life, We are just as precious to God. Had a student several years ago, I was going to speak out of town and the school gave me a a driver to get me from the campus over to the airport. And I remember the young man I was talking to asking what he was studying and what he did. And he worked at a, a place that took care of elderly folks that, uh, could no longer care for themselves. And um, he said, Dr. Betts, she said, you'd be amazed at how many people spend their entire lives in these places, the rest the, their last days and years in these places, and have no one, no one in their family, no one, to come and see them. And show any concern or care about them whatsoever. 
He said, on occasion, some of these people will come if there's a financial issue and they can work out getting some money out of their mom or dad. What a horrendous thing. What a horrendous thing. All of life matters. A song that I grew up with, Jesus loves the little children. You know what? John says we're all little children as he speaks to us and writes to Christians. And some of us are 90-year-old little children and some of us are nine-year-old little children, but in God's eyes, we are little children. And we are precious to him, all of us. And because we are precious to God, then everyone else ought to be precious to us. I love that word precious. It means value. We talk about precious jewelry or precious diamonds. It's of great value. It's that idea. I hesitate to tell you this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I told the first group, so I'll tell you this as well. Years ago, when I was a young pastor, um, there was a couple in our church that came and they had their newborn, brought their newborn to church for the first time. And they, they showed us this baby and it's memorable. I mean, it, it was the ugliest baby I had ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot now growing up in the church, rather large, large church. I mean, it, it was almost like take your breath away. Like, oh my goodness. You know, I mean, like. Oh. And I, I remember catching myself and I said, oh, how precious. <laughs> there it is. And so that kind of stuck with me. I thought this is a safe word. It's true. So now if I see your baby and I say precious, that doesn't mean that you'll just never know, though, will you? Uh, but but I'm just, I just think that's, that's the way to go. Several years later, Ann and I saw this young lady and she had grown up. She was an adult. And she looked good. And I just felt so good for her. I remember we got, Anna and I got in the car. I said, I'm just so glad for her. She's just, she's just turned, well, turned out okay for her. I'm really glad for that. I was just really concerned. It had really stuck with me. I don't think I'd ever seen a, a, a baby just quite look like what she looked like. And so I'm glad that worked out for her. The thing is, we are all precious to the Lord. We are all precious to him. Of great value. And, and I, I think it's interesting, as he closes here, he says in verse 17, how precious also your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I heard this statement years ago. I think it's true. Uh, a teacher said this, and I, I've had... Plenty of time to think about it. And I think, I think they're right. This teacher said this. Most people are not thinking bad thoughts about you. Most people are not thinking about you at all. I think they're right. I think they're probably right. There may be a few, but I think for the most part, most people. And the only reason I say that this is terrible, because I spend most of my time thinking about me. So that I, I just understand. It's like, I, I get that. And I think about me and mine. Right? I think about my wife. I think about my children. I think about my grandchildren. I think about my friends. I think about my church. I, I, I think about things that pertain to, to me. And so do you, you see. 
But here's the truth of the matter. While this statement may be true that most people are not thinking about you or thinking about me, God is. Always. And the number of his thoughts that are precious toward us, we cannot count them, how vast they are. Those are his thoughts toward you and toward me. Let me close with three observations. God fearfully and wonderfully created every one of us in his image. Every one of us in his image, that we might fear him, that we might be in wonder of him and worship him. Which leads to the second one, God has created us with the purpose of reflecting his glory and he has created us with the purpose of his pleasure. Therefore, we should live every day in light of God's purpose for us. Every day. Today, Lord, as I wake up, may my life, may my actions, may my thoughts reflect your beauty and reflect your purposes and may what I do and who I am bring pleasure to you. I get this because my dad has been gone to be with the Lord maybe 16 years now. There are many days still the thought crosses my mind, I hope dad would be honored and pleased by this. How much more our Heavenly Father, living daily unto Him, seeking to please Him and honor Him as we are children made in His image. And finally, as image bearers of God, God values all human life at all stages of human life. Therefore, so should we. God doesn't show favorites to people in one season of life over another, and neither should we, and neither should we. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is this truth of the sanctity of life that you have established this in your creation as you have made each and every human being, male and female, in your image. And because you are of utmost value, those made in your image are precious. They are precious to you. And because they are precious to you, Lord, May they be precious to us as well. And Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much. We are so precious to you that you sent your son. And that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again. And he sits at your right hand as our mediator and our advocate 
and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in him, not only can we be image bearers, but we can be made like Christ, made anew, saved from our sin, and brought into your family eternally by grace through faith. And I pray that that would be the case for those here today who do not know you as Savior and Lord. I pray, Father, that we would reflect Jesus and that we would be the image bearers that you called us to be as your children to the glory of your Son, to the glory of the Father, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.